Being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it, would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. Well, great. Now Bradcast is banned in all of Florida public schools. Thanks, Des. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth, may not apply in the state of Florida. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, We have been reporting on corruption at the U.S. Supreme Court, specifically by arguably its most corrupt justice in U.S. history. That would be Clarence Thomas. We have been reporting on that for on on him for well over a decade now, Uh, even when few in the corporate media bothered to notice his corruption. So why stop now? Just because so many seem prepared to uh, let a litany of at least apparent corruption by not just Thomas, but also by Justice Neil Gorsuch and even Chief Justice John Roberts sort of slide off the radar as if as if everything is just fine or normal because, you know, Donald Trump faces uh, some uh, more and more criminal charges to distract us. And as the corrupted and packed far right high court is now set to release its own opinions, For this term from on high, which we're all supposed to simply respect, I guess that's coming late next month. But uh, no, here on the broadcast, we are not letting it go. Coming up, we we will be uh, joined uh, by a former top federal criminal fraud and government corruption prosecutor who argues that, of course, the court does not see their own corruption 
after they spent the past decade or two, several decades, more than two decades actually at this point, issuing opinions that make corruption of public officials, including by out-and-out bribery, almost impossible to charge. That is coming up shortly. But first, hello, Desi Doyen. Hello. I was just thinking about, gosh, there's so much corruption going around. It is hard to keep track of it all. So much corruption, so little time. Uh, Nonetheless, let's start here today. Uh, This week, Target announced that it will be removing some of its LGBTQ plus merchandise from its Pride Month collection after threats and backlash from customers, making the corporation just the latest of several recent examples of prominent companies caving to right-wing attacks and threats against the LGBTQ plus community. The mega retailer, reporting uh, r- uh, reported by Emin Yusel at uh, TPM, has offered products celebrating Pride Month for more than a decade without problem. But, according to a company spokesman, Uh, Spokeswoman, actually, stores have experienced a recent uptick in threats against staff safety over this year's collection, proving that, yes, terrorism works, doesn't it? Quote, given these volatile circumstances, we are making adjustments to our plans, including removing items that have been at the center of the most significant confrontational behavior, the company said in a statement. Target did not specify which items were being removed or immediately provide more details about the threats, but the confrontations have reportedly centered on the company's swimwear line, which includes options for trans women. That after Fox News and right-wing public officials wishing to curry favor with the Republican propaganda outlet have focused on uh, one trans athlete in particular for many months now. But folks on the right, in the right-wing media, not just on Fox, have been pushing this hard and, frankly, pushing folks to make threats against Target. California's Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, blasted Target's announcement, calling the decision a, quote, systematic attack on the gay community. Quote, selling out the LBGTQ plus community to extremists is a real profile in courage, the governor tweeted, citing Target CEO Brian Cornell by name. This isn't just a couple stores in the South, charged Newsom. There is a systematic attack on the gay community happening across the country. Wake up, America, he wrote. This doesn't stop here. You're black, you're Asian, you're Jewish, you're a woman, you're next, Governor Newsom warned. Target's backsliding comes just a week after the L.A. Dodgers announced the team would no longer honor an LGBTQ advocacy group delightfully named the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. (laughs) They were to have have received a community service award from the team, which rescinded that plan, citing, quote, the strong feelings of people who have been offended by the group. The group describes itself as a leading edge order of queer and trans nuns and advocates for sexual tolerance. Well, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? The Dodgers' decision came shortly after the Catholic League and Senator Marco Rubio, Republican of Florida, accused the group of mocking nuns and Christianity. Uh, 
But the disinvitation sparked backlash itself from LGBTQ plus groups around the country, leading some prominent groups to pull out of the annual Pride Night. Almost a week later, the Dodgers said that the sisters will again be welcome at the team's annual Pride Night. Go Dodgers! All of this, as you'll recall, after back in April, Bud Light beer found itself at the center of right-wing media outrage and a drop in sales after right-wingers called for a boycott of the company over its partnership with a transgender actress and comedian. Republican officials in state after state, of course, meanwhile, have been eagerly joining the cancel culture against the LGBTQ community and against those companies who dare show support for LGBTQ plus people, adopting laws in GOP-controlled state after state to remove rights and freedoms from those in the community and, in fact, from all of us. And no state has led the way toward cancel culture and the removal of rights and freedoms. No state has done so more than Governor Ron DeSantis's Florida, where, as irony would have it, he actually ran his 2022 re-election campaign with the now laughable slogan for Florida, quote, freedom lives here. Seriously. On Tuesday, the Human Rights Campaign, the largest LGBTQ advocacy group in the nation, joined several other civil rights organizations in issuing a travel advisory for Florida, warning that newly passed state laws there may pose risks to minorities and immigrants and the LGBTQ community. The travel advisory from groups including the NAACP, the League of United Latin American Citizens, and the Florida Immigrant Coalition and Equality Florida all come as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is announcing his 2024 presidential bid as we go to air today. During a discussion with uh, white supremacist fan and Twitter CEO Elon Musk, that's how DeSantis has chosen to make his announcement. Quote, because of Ron DeSantis and his frenzied appeal to extremists, LGBTQ people in Florida are finding themselves in a state of emergency every single day, said the president of the human rights campaign, Kelly Robinson, in a statement. Since the day he took office, Governor DeSantis has weaponized his position to weave bigotry, hate and discrimination into public law for his own political gain. The organization cited, quote, laws that are hostile to the LGBTQ community, restrict access to reproductive health care, repeal gun safety policies, foment racial prejudice and attack public education by banning books and censoring curriculum. But other than that, freedom lives here. I suspect many uh, corporate media outlets are focusing on uh, DeSantis's run for the presidency today by reporting on the horse race between him and Donald Trump. I think a better way to cover his candidacy, frankly, is by focusing on the effects of his far right extremist policies as governor after he has been quietly campaigning for president for at least the past year, using his GOP-dominated state legislature to pass laws to appeal to the farthest right MAGA voters and in turn helping to normalize the passage of these sweeping anti-LGBTQ plus bills and 
so-called anti-woke laws in other red states across the U.S. These are all getting picked up all over the country after taking DeSantis's lead. And we're seeing the effects of those laws on real people today. Recently, a uh, Hernando County school board in Florida has been investigating a Florida teacher who showed the Disney film Strange World to her fifth grade class. A first-year teacher at a K-8 through school, uh, the teacher said that she showed the uh, 2022 film because it directly related to class curriculum, not because it portrayed Disney's first openly gay character. The animated film tells the story of a family of explorers, and the teacher said it was relevant to her lesson on ecosystems and the environment. Wow, that sounds dangerous. Though the county concedes that the teacher had PG-rated movie approval forms for all of her students and that the movie was connected to the curriculum being taught, the teacher told CNN there was no school protocol in place for clearing individual specific movies and that she had not been informed by the education department about which provision that she was actually accused of violating in showing this film. A parent and school board member reported the showing of the Disney film to uh, state education officials because Florida law bans the instruction of certain LGBTQ topics in schools. DeSantis, of course, signed legislation back in March of 2022 saying that it was a form of, quote, parental rights to object to what's being taught in the class, to the books that are being uh, shared in libraries, to movies that are being shown. While opponents said that this don't say gay law was in fact an effort to try to erase LGBTQ people from schools. And you may recall at the time that DeSantis furiously uh, disagreed with his critics. He claimed that uh, the law, in any event, only applied to kindergarten through third grade classes. Critics pointed out, critics like our friend Mark Joseph Stern on this show pointed out that, yes, it could be applied to all public school grades, not just K through three. And sure enough, last month, Florida's State Education Board voted to expand the law's scope to include all grades all the way through high school. And now teachers who violate the state policy, they can be suspended or they can have their teaching licenses revoked because, after all, freedom lives here. The teacher who uh, showed her movie, the Disney film, said she had no idea that the law had been expanded to her grade level. The teacher said she will not return to the district next year. She had already submitted her resignation a week before the incident due to, quote, politics and the fear of not being able to be who you are in the public school system. The Hernando County School District is now boosting security ahead of their next school board meeting, quote, to ensure the school board meeting is conducted safely and without interruption, according to a media release. New security measures, including additional law enforcement and school guardians and banning bags and metal detectors, are all now in place. Media members will also have uh, all equipment bags searched before entering the meeting because freedom lives in Ron DeSantis's Florida. Sounds like freedom, doesn't it? 
That story, of course, is only one of the countless such stories that are now coming out of the Sunshine State. Here's another one that broke just last night. A K-8 through school in Miami-Dade County limited four library titles after one single parent complained about the contents. The school issued restrictions for elementary-aged students on three books and one poem after a parent objected to five titles, claiming that they included topics that were inappropriate for students and should be removed, quote, from the total environment, according to the parent. In March, a woman named Daly Salinas, a parent of two students at Bob Graham Education Center in Miami Lakes, challenged these uh, three books and, and a poem, the, uh, the ABCs of Black History, that sounds scary. Cuban kids, uh-oh, countries in the news, Cuba, and the poem, The Hills We Climb. That is the poem that was recited by poet Amanda Gorman at the inauguration of President Joe Biden. Uh, also, she uh, uh, tried to uh, have removed love to Langston for what she said included references to critical race theory quote, indirect hate messages, gender ideology and indoctrination. That, according to records obtained by the Florida Freedom to Read, Freedom to Read project and shared with the Miami Herald. All of this, again, made possible thanks to the new laws enacted by Governor Ron DeSantis that allow parents to have books banned, essentially, if it makes them uncomfortable for pretty much any reason at all including discussions about race or sexual identity. For now, I will uh, focus just on the on the Gorman poem. Again, this was the poem read at Joe Biden's inauguration. I suspect most of the children in in all of Florida's public schools have probably already heard this poem as Amanda Gorman read it famously and beautifully. So uh, the actual complaint form has been uh, published that this uh, woman submitted, Daly Salinas, uh, describing the material uh, as the, the poem here, The Hill We Climb, and says that the author is Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> oh, golly. It's actually not. It's actually Gorman, Amanda Gorman. Well, I'm sure they look very <laughs> much alike to this complainer. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the form asks, why do you object to this material? And Salinas answers, quote, is not educational and have indirectly hate messages. Page 12 through 13. Well, here's Gorman at Biden's 2021 inaugural reading those two pages with the indirectly hate messages, and of course, if, if, if you have children in the room at this time, you, you may wish to cover their ears. Go ahead. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace, and the norms and notions of what just is isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. 
That's it. That's the end. That's the end of pages. That's the totality of pages 12 through 13 that this woman objected to. One woman, one person in uh, in this one Miami school that has gotten this uh, book uh, banned from the grade school library. And isn't that kind of how this entire thing actually works? So DeSantis's idea of Republican parental control means one parent yep. decides what the children of all parents are free to read. For what age group would you recommend this material? The complaint uh, form asks. Salinas responded, quote, not for schools. What do you believe is the function of this material? The form asks. The woman responded, cause confusion and indoctrinate students. Again, it was read at the President Biden's uh, inauguration, and you heard pages 12 through 13 specifically that she objected to. She's, uh, another question, uh, did you review all the material? Yes, she answers. Are you aware of professional reviews on this, mirror, uh, on this material? I don't need it, she said. <laughs> So uh, the, the poet here, Amanda Gorman, tweeted on Tuesday, quote, I'm gutted because of one parent's complaint. My inaugural poem, The Hill We Climb, has been banned from an elementary school in Miami-Dade County, Florida. The American Library Association has found that nearly 2,600 titles were targeted for t uh, censorship in 2022. That's an almost 40 percent increase from the previous year. For some reason. And in Florida, nearly 200 books have already been banned. Let's be clear, Gorman noted, most of the forbidden works are by authors who have struggled for generations to get on the bookshelves. The majority of these censored works are by queer and non-white voices. Together, this is a hill, she says, we won't just climb, but a hill that we will conquer. The uh, spokesperson for the Florida Freedom to Read Project, again, Florida Freedom to Read Project, said in a uh, statement, quote, We are disappointed that the Bob Graham Education Center has determined that elementary schoolers should not have access to Amanda Gorman's beautiful poem in their library. A spokesperson uh, said, uh, without any clear guidance from the Florida Department of Education on what is meant by age-appropriate information on racism, discrimination, and other topics guarded by the DeSantis' uh, so-called Stop Woke Act, we continue to see educators and district leaders restrict these library books from the author's intended audiences. So, uh, for the record, Ron DeSantis has begun his presidential campaign using the slogan, Make America Florida. Okay, America, how do you feel about that? Would you like to be Florida? And yeah, he announced uh, that campaign on Tuesday during a, uh, uh, I'm sorry, on, on uh, Wednesday during a conversation with Elon Musk, the CEO and owner of Twitter, which has become ground zero for far right hate speech and yes, political terrorism. Good luck with that, Ron. Like to go back here to uh, Governor Gavin Newsom's remarks about all of this calling it a systematic attack on the gay community happening across the country. 
that in response to the uh, campaign now against Target. Where Newsom says, wake up, America, this doesn't stop here. You're black, you're Asian, you're Jewish, you're a woman, you're next. Let's take a quick break here and we will uh, be back with a former federal fraud and government corruption prosecutor who has a few thoughts for our our own corrupted U.S. Supreme Court, which he argues in The New York Times this week appears to be, quote, blind to its own corruption. George Washington University Law School's Randall D. Eliason joins us next. And both Clarence Thomas and Chief Justice Roberts may wish to listen. That's straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Grim. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. It was uh, well over a decade ago in 2011 that the Brad blog was instrumental in breaking the news that far-right activist U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas had failed for about two decades by that time to disclose his GOP activist wife's annual $120,000 salary from the right-wing Heritage Foundation on his annual financial disclosure forms. Were the simple forms required under penalty of law that Thomas declare his, quote, spouse's non-investment income, Thomas wrote simply, none. He signed the form just above the all-caps bold warning, which read, Note, any individual who knowingly and willfully falsifies or fails to file this report may be subject to civil and criminal sanctions. As per USC Section 104, that section of the U.S. Criminal Code defines the civil and criminal sanctions for, quote, knowingly and willfully falsifying the report, including a fine not to exceed $50,000 and imprisonment for not more than one year or both for each instance. Thomas failed to declare his wife's salary from the right-wing organization, about $700,000 worth in all, year after year on that simple form until he was finally called out on it. He was never sanctioned. He just quietly amended about 20 years of reports without penalty. Problem solved. 
We also reported that very same year, back in 2011, that in 20, uh, 2009, just after the high court had heard oral arguments in the infamous Citizens United v. Federal Elections Commission case, which unleashed millions, if not billions, of dark corporate dollars into our electoral system via nonpartisan, nonprofit, so-called charity organizations, that Clarence's wife, Ginny, had set up her own so-called charitable organization that received some $500,000 from a single donor that would never have needed to be legally disclosed. That just months before the high court's 2010 ruling was released in the Citizens United case. It was heard in 2009. The opinion came out in 2010. In between those two dates, Ginny made a lot of money for her newly formed group. Was it, we asked at the time, a case of judicial insider trading? Did Ginny know the court would soon make such undisclosed donations for political purposes perfectly legal? We don't know. But as we did report at the time, back during Thomas's exceedingly controversial Senate confirmation hearings in 1991, Thomas had also received about $100,000 worth of support in television and radio and print ads. That was a lot of money at the time. He received that from a then little known group by the name of Citizens United. Despite the fact that he arguably owed his seat, his lifetime appointment, to their support 20 years earlier, Thomas failed to recuse himself from the landmark 2010 Citizens United case. It would be about another decade before media outlets decided to dig back into the undisclosed payouts, many of them, enjoyed by Clarence Thomas. We would eventually learn that the $500,000 investment into that 501c4 created by Jenny Thomas between the time Citizens United was heard and the time it was decided actually came from a GOP megadonor by the name of Harlan Crow. And it was only this year that an avalanche of undisclosed gifts from Crow to Clarence Thomas was revealed by excellent investigative reporting at ProPublica. Their reporting revealed that Thomas had been enjoying unreported luxury vacations and travel as a gift from Crow to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars over the past 20 years, that Crow had actually purchased the house of Clarence Thomas's mother in Georgia made nearly $40,000 of home improvements to it and allows her to still live in it to this day at 94 years of age, rent-free. And then we would learn that Crow actually paid the private school tuition for Clarence's grandnephew, who he has said uh, Ginny and he raised as a son. None of those gifts and or payouts, however you prefer to view them, were disclosed as per the very few disclosure requirements that apply to U.S. Supreme Court justices. We would later learn via Washington Post that another far-right winger by the name of Leonard Leo, who heads up the Federalist Society, a group which has worked to shape the court to its far-right liking for decades, was actually secretly paying Ginny Thomas cash, some $100,000 of it, and uh, uh, laundering those payments, if you will, through the polling firm that was then owned and run by Donald Trump's eventual campaign manager and senior White House aide, Kellyanne Conway. 
When Leo requested Conway send another $25,000 payment to Jenny Thomas in January of 2012, he included a note to her emphasizing that there should be no mention of Jenny, of course. That's a quote. That in the company's paperwork for the transaction and that Conway should simply bill Leo's group as a, quote, supplement for constitution polling and opinion consulting. To this day, neither of the Thomases have been held to account for any of this, for what amounts to millions in undisclosed gifts and cash payouts from Crow and Leo and who knows who else. It is not only the unapologetically corrupted Thomas who sullies our far-right packed U.S. Supreme Court by seemingly believing that he is above the law. The head of a law firm that has repeatedly had cases before the high court over the years purchased a 40-acre tract of property that was co-owned by Justice Neil Gorsuch. The purchase was made shortly after he was seated on the court, just nine days after it, in fact, after that same piece of property had been on the market nearly two years without a sale. Gorsuch never disclosed the identity of the purchaser of the nearly $2 million property. When disclosing the sale of the property on his annual disclosure form, he left the box for that name blank. Even Chief Justice John Roberts uh, has undisclosed dealings uh, that have come under scrutiny in recent months, with his wife Jan uh, Jane recently revealing, uh, uh, having revealed to have earned millions of dollars recruiting lawyers for prominent law firms. And despite all of this, the Chief Justice insists that everything is pretty much just fine at the court, and it is the people who are protesting these clear appearances of conflicts of interest, at the very least, and apparent law-breaking in several cases. It is those people protesting who are the real problem at the court. Speaking at an event by the American Law Institute on Tuesday night, according to Reuters, Chief Justice John Roberts said the court is considering steps to, quote, adhere to the highest standards of conduct. That, after reports about undisclosed luxury travel and real estate deals, has prompted congressional scrutiny, at least from congressional Democrats. Roberts said, quote, I want to assure people that I am committed to making certain that we as a court adhere to the highest standards of conduct. We are continuing to look at things that we can do to give practical effect to that commitment, and I am confident that there are ways to do that consistent with our status as an independent branch of government and the Constitution's separation of powers. He gave no details on what those measures might look like, signaling that he is wary of potential legislation by Congress that could impose an ethics code for the justices, God forbid. It was the first time that Roberts has publicly commented since a U.S. Senate committee hearing earlier this month on a potential ethics code for the high court. The U.S. Supreme Court is the only federal court in the United States that does not have a formal ethics code. 
Roberts declined an invitation to testify at a uh, at a recent Senate hearing on Supreme Court ethics issues. His remarks on Tuesday were his first extensive public reflections, he said, since the start of the coronavirus pandemic. Since then, the court has overruled Roe v. Wade, the 1973 decision establishing a constitutional right to abortion. It has weathered the leak of a draft of the ruling and failed to identify the source of the leak and has faced a barrage of news articles raising questions about the justices' financial disclosures and recusal practices. The New York Times reports that Roberts noted, quote, the things going on outside this chamber were his greatest concern. That would be judges heckled and shouted down at law schools, protesters outside the homes of justices with martial protection needed 24-7. Those were his concerns, not, apparently, the effect of the seemingly nonstop reports on apparent corruption or, at best, the appearance thereof by members of the court, including, yes, himself. Over the weekend... Prior to Roberts' comments on Tuesday night, former federal prosecutor Randall Eliason published an op-ed in the New York Times, blasting the court as, quote, blind to its own corruption, which Eliason charges has, quote, further eroded the already record low public confidence in the Supreme Court. If Justice Chief Justice John Roberts wonders how such a thing could have happened, writes Eliason, he might start looking for answers within the cloistered walls of his own courtroom. Joining us now is our friend Professor Randall D. Eliason, the former chief of the Fraud and Public Corruption Section at the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia. He now teaches white-collar criminal law at George Washington University Law School. He contributes to the Washington Post and the New York Times and blogs at his own site, sidebarsblog.com. Welcome back to the broadcast, Counselor. Thank you. Nice to be back with you. Good to have you, as always. You have a very interesting take on all of this, uh, Randall, uh, this week, uh, noting, quote, over more than two decades, the Supreme Court has gutted laws aimed at fighting corruption and at limiting the ability of the powerful to enrich public officials in a position to advance their interests. As a result, today, wealthy individuals and corporations may buy political access and influence with little fear of le legal consequences, either for them or for the beneficiaries of their largesse. And you add, no wonder Justice Thomas apparently thought his behavior was no big deal. You make a great point here, Randall. Uh, the court has spent years whittling away at public corruption laws for everyone else. No wonder they see no corruption in their own behavior, I guess? Yeah, that's sort of the point of the piece. I mean, it, it, that article is less about, you know, the facts of any one particular uh conflict or, or appearance of corruption or you know mm -hmm. the facts of any one particular example of the things that have been going on that you described in your introduction but it's more about how the court itself has, co has contributed to a legal environment mm -hmm. over the last 20 years where uh, at least as far as the court is concerned the many of the kinds of things that are are going on uh, are not in fact corrupt and shouldn't and shouldn't be seen uh, as corrupt because they've taken this extremely narrow view of what corruption is yes. to say Basically, the government only needs to be concerned about direct quid pro quo deals, where I, I agree as a politician, I'm going to go vote this way in mm -hmm. exchange for this particular thing that, that you're giving me. Right. 
But these long-term relationships where, you know, wealthy donors can shower a politician or a Supreme Court justice or some other public official with huge gifts over years, that's okay. Or at least it's not criminal, (laughs) because unless prosecutors can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that, you know, one particular gift was because of one particular thing they did. Yeah. And and, and the reality of corruption is is usually much more subtle than that uh, and pervasive than that. It's a long-term, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours Mm -hmm. relationship, right? I'll give you these fancy trips and these gifts and things over time. And then when things happen to come up that I'm interested in, you'll do the right thing for me. Mm-hmm. And we don't even have to talk about it, right? We don't have to, yeah. have, a, we don't have, to have an explicit deal. It's just an understanding between us. Well, I mean, that's what real-world corruption is like. Uh, but for, like, more than 20 years, the, the court has issued a series of opinions that have largely put arrangements like that, yeah. and like the arrangement between Harlan Crow and, and Clarence Thomas, out of the reach of, of the law. And I can only imagine how difficult those decisions over those 20 years, and I actually want to step through a few of them very quickly, but I can only imagine how difficult they may have made life for you as the, uh, you know, as, as the chief federal prosecutor of the public corruption and government fraud unit at the, uh, 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 the uh, district court in, uh, uh, in yep. D.C. I, I can only imagine how difficult that must have made it for you to actually do your job. Let me, you, you cite about four different landmark high court opinions uh, that you describe as affecting the ability of prosecutors like yourself to hold these public officials to account for corruption and out and out fraud, starting with a big one that I also that also came up in my intro there, 2010's Citizens United. Yes. Yeah, of course, Citizens United wasn't wasn't about criminal prosecutions, but mm-hmm. it's part of the same theme, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's part of the court's definition of what qualifies as corruption in that case applied to you know does congress have a legitimate concern in limiting these corporate donations mm-hmm. um so that one doesn't directly affect prosecutors so much but it's all part of the same pattern going back to as i said in the article 1999 actually with a case called sun diamond mm-hmm. where uh, the court actually struck down a relationship that looks very similar to the Harlan Crow Justice Thomas relationship mm-hmm. that previously prosecutors might have charged as a criminal gratuities case, where uh, Crow is giving the justice a series of gifts over time, undisclosed uh, gifts over time, in exchange for the hope that when things come up that are of interest to him, that Thomas will act accordingly. Um, and you don't have to prove a kind of direct, you didn't have to prove <laughs> mm-hmm. a kind of direct one to one link between any particular vote, in this case, and any mm-hmm. particular gift. But the court in Sun Diamond said, that doesn't violate the gratuity statute, and so that kind of effectively having a public official on retainer is no longer criminal. <laughs> which is there, which there's a, mind I mean, blowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a a common theme in my white collar class that I'm always telling the students. Uh, look, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the world that looks sleazy, corrupt, smells bad, unethical, immoral, whatever you want to call it, that isn't criminal. And nowhere is that more true than when it comes to political corruption and the influence of money in politics. And the irony is, when it comes to this whole Thomas incident and the Supreme Court in general, the court itself has had a lot to do with that, with creating that kind of legal environment where you can get away with a whole lot of stuff that to the ordinary citizen looking at this who doesn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to throw at a politician or at a justice to, to you know, try to curry favor with them, ordinary citizens looking at that saying that looks like corruption to me <laughs> um, but according to the legal standards created by the court it's not 
I, and I think uh, one case that folks may remember that kind of underscores this as well as anything else, uh, I believe is the most recent, 2016's uh, McConnell versus McConnell, yeah. Yeah, uh, 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 versus U- United States, uh, where the governor of Virginia was, and, and it does seem very similar, really, to the Clarence Thomas Harlan Crow arrangement, where he was you know, given all sorts of gifts over a period of time. But that was, and and I I think he was found guilty uh, in the lower court before that was eventually overturned at the Supreme Court? Yeah, jury convicted him. Jury had no problem with the case. The Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals unanimously upheld the convictions. uh, And then the Supreme Court unanimously reverses, based on a very technical kind of lawyerly reading of the bribery statute to say, well, when McDonald, you know, took these secret gifts and then in exchange sort of contacted his staff and tried to set up meetings for this businessman who wanted things from the government and held an event for him at the governor's mansion, none of those qualified as quote-unquote official acts under the meaning of the statute. And so therefore, he can't be convicted of bribery. This is just like politics as usual. Mm. Um, The effect of that decision is if I'm a governor, the the court said the key was he didn't actually make the decision, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't sort of take any affirmative steps, exercise government power in exchange for these gifts. He just got Williams, who's the bribe payer, got mm-hmm. him in the door, gave him access to his staff, tried to arrange things for him. The court said that's not enough. <laughs> I mean, the effect of that decision is, if I'm a governor, I can tell people who are interested in things before the state, uh, you want to meet with my staff? You want me to set up a meeting for you? Uh, cost is $10,000. And that just goes in my pocket. And we're not going to report that to anybody. Uh, that's just a gift for me. I'm not going to tell him how to decide, but if you give me $10,000, I'll get you in the room. I'll get you access. That is no longer illegal. <laughs> which after is the McDonald case. <laughs> which is mind-blowing. I know, uh, you, I know. you write, uh, those who think Justice Thomas may be guilty of corruption may not realize just how difficult the court itself has made it to prove such a case. Now only the most ham-handed officials clumsy enough to engage in a direct quid pro quo risk prosecution. In other words, there are various ways for me to give hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars, I guess, to public officials. But as long as there's no evidence that I said, you know, literally, okay, I'm going to give you this money and you will do X, Y, Z in exchange for that money, as long as that doesn't happen... Am I reading this right? There's almost no way to bring public corruption cases for for bribery, et cetera, at this point? That's right, because you've got to prove that agreement beyond a reasonable doubt. And so you can do it with winks and nods and understandings and a long-term course of conduct. You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And the burdens the court has put up make Mm -hmm. it almost impossible to prove these cases. Unless, (laughs) like I said in the article, unless you're really a super clumsy politician. <laughs> I mean, you might remember, the, I don't, this is going back a while now, but there was a congressman, uh, Duke Cunningham. Yes, of course, of course. You know, when I talk about ham-handed or clumsy, that's the example I think of, right. because he basically wrote down a bribe menu on yes. a piece of his office stationery <laughs> yes. that became a piece of evidence in his case. This yep. is what you have to pay me in order to get your contract, you know. But short of that, which doesn't <laughs> come along all that often, it, it's almost impossible. And the truth is, since McDonald, yeah. There hasn't been, since the McDonald case was decided, there really hasn't been a single significant federal prosecution of a major polit- of a, for bribery mm-hmm. of a major political figure, uh, state or federal, by the federal government. The, the, the hurdles are so high that prosecutors have just kind of sensibly said, we're going to spend our time elsewhere. Mm. You know, we've got better chances of actually making a case. Mm. 
Something that we may wish to keep in mind uh, as some of Donald Trump's cases move forward, by the way, particularly uh, some of the reporting of late uh, on what uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith seems to be maybe looking into regarding foreign countries, business dealings with foreign countries uh, around the uh, stolen documents case. But I digress. We'll get we'll have all summer for that. Uh, You're not suggesting here, Randall, that. That the Supremes, uh, the justices here, arrived at these various decisions over these various years to make corruption uh, uh, easier to uh, pull off and and harder to prosecute. You're not suggesting that they uh, did so in order to protect their own corruption, correct? No, no, no. But but that's the practical effect. And and they do have, uh, what I'm suggesting is they have uh, artificially narrow and unrealistic view of what corruption is mm-hmm. by focusing on this requirement of a quid pro quo deal and saying everything else that's just appearances yeah. you know but that's not really anything for congress or the public to be concerned about that's just completely unrealistic i mean a lot of these supreme court justices now you know they haven't even they haven't been politicians they haven't practiced in the real world they've been professors and academics and then they go on the bench mm-hmm. and you know i think there's some kind of naivete or, or something about the way the world of politics works and, and what their idea of corruption is. It's a very kind of academic or theoretical mm. concept versus a, the real world of what goes on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, you know, so to be fair, I mean, the, the, the other thing we can say, though, as I pointed out in the article, is we can't lay this entirely at their doorstep mm-hmm. because Congress could change the laws. Right. I mean, the, the court interprets these bribery statutes this way. Congress can come in and change them. It's not a constitutional decision. And- so, you know, but again, you're asking, like, the fox to put up a security fence around the hen house, well, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, at which, in, in one sense, I guess there, there has been one uh, security fence, and that was what John Roberts seemed to be worried about. He said his hardest decision in all his years on the court was whether to set up a security fence around the uh, hen house known as the Supreme Court uh, in in recent months following the uh, decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. I want to talk about what they can, uh, what, what can be done, what Congress could do to take all of this on. But, you know, one point that I, I, I just don't want to lose track of here, uh, you know, they, they don't see, of course, what they are doing as as corrupt and at, at the Supreme Court. And let's give them the benefit of the doubt. It is not. Let's just say that said, There's also a concept, you know, I'm not an attorney, but I understand the concept of the appearance of corruption and that, you know, you're supposed to recuse yourself simply if it appears you, you know, you may have uh, a conflict of interest here. And this was something that I mentioned with uh, Clarence Thomas. He did not do on the uh, uh, Citizens United case, despite receiving all of that support from them to even have the job in the first place. Even if they want to say, Uh, You know, hey, we're not corrupt. What are you talking about? Even if that's the case, surely the justices understand the appearance of all of this. No. And the need to take action simply based on that. No. Yeah. And uh, they certainly should. And that gets into the whole idea of, you know, the lack of any kind of ethical code for the court. Um, Like you said, all of the justices and all of the judges in the country are are bound by one. Um, (laughs) Because there's a lot of misconduct that's not criminal, which is what you were talking about, right? Uh, ethical misconduct, mm-hmm. the appearance of impropriety, mm-hmm. things that may may cause the public to question your judicial impartiality. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be criminal, right. right? And you don't have to actually be corrupt. 
at but best, and that's giving as a judge that's to, giving the benefit of the doubt. You know, yeah, saying yeah. that's all it is. Yes, the you appearance. You have to appear impartial. Yeah. Right. Right. And if you take the combination of the lack of any ethical code for the Supreme Court, and the lack and the failure to disclose a lot of these gifts. I mean, the purpose of the disclosure laws is so the public can see who's who's funding you, and is giving you all kinds of money, and then can say, hey. Look at this person gave you all the money. Maybe you shouldn't participate in the case that they're involved in, right? But if you don't disclose it at all, and you couple that with the fact that you're not bound by any kind of formal ethics code, you get situations like this. And I think it's a real problem for the court and their and the public's perception of its legitimacy. Well, apparently the Chief Justice doesn't think so. On Tuesday night, uh, as mentioned, uh, John Roberts, uh, who has you know, refused to even talk to Congress in these recent hearings, uh, he seemed to suggest that uh, because of the constitutional separation of powers issues that somehow Congress has no right to establish ethics rules and laws for the court. I'm, I'm not a constitutional law expert, but that seems wildly inaccurate to me. And I would ask you, is it? And before I do, I will also note that attorneys for Clarence Thomas benefactor Harlan Crow, according to Bloomberg this week, also claim the exact same thing, that Congress can't do it because of separation of powers. So who, who's right. got it right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really an expert in that area either. That certainly doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, I mean, there is, there is, I mean, Roberts is right to the extent the Supreme Court is a, uh, its own branch of government, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like a lower court. They're not like the lower court judges. But so to some extent... There's kind of a rhetorical point there, but at the same time, obviously Congress sets rules for the Supreme Court. It, it sets its budget. It sets the number of justices. It, can, it sets the rules of court procedure. I mean, it can do a, it can do a lot of things mm-hmm. uh, to affect how the court operates, despite the fact that it's an independent branch of government. And I don't see any reason why that couldn't include an ethical code. So there's, you know, there's some sparring going on here, and I'm sure the court would rather adopt its own than have something imposed on it by Congress. But the well, argument that Congress doesn't have the power to do that seems far-fetched to me. But at the same time, we have to recognize if they do and it's challenged, who's going to rule exactly on that? Exactly what I was thinking. Yes. <laughs> it's going to go to the Supreme Court. Yes, they get to decide if it's constitutional or not. I wonder how they're going to rule. Yeah, yeah, I wonder where they sit on that. So, uh, What would you like to see? Uh, in the, we got just a minute or two uh, left here, uh, Randall. What would, specifically would you like to see when it comes to, your, you know, we refer to an ethics code. What sort of things would would you like to see, whether it's the court putting it in place or Congress putting it in place for the court, that, that you think might make a difference here? Well, in terms of an ethics code, I think it would make sense for them to just be bound by the, the code that applies to all federal judges, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of uh, recusal, avoiding even the appearance of impropriety, avoiding potential conflicts of interest, you know, mm-hmm. a- and the other obligations that all other judges abide by. Yeah. Um the criminal law is also is the one that's you know of even greater interest to me. I mean, I would love to see Congress enact some reform mm. that undo some of what the court's done over the last twenty years. Yeah. It's not rocket science. These statutes can be beefed up, and the loopholes that the court has created to allow corruption to thrive can be closed if Congress has the will to do it. And I'm sure there are some on Capitol Hill that do have that will, but you know it's been twenty years and they haven't done it yet. Um, but there's yep. a lot of this damage that can be repaired. It's not, it's not a constitutional holding, you know, mm-hmm. that the court has made where it's really, really difficult to change it absent a constitutional amendment or something. These are statutes. Yep. And, and there's a lot that Congress could do to repair this damage if they just had the will to do it. 
We will link to uh, your piece at the New York Times, uh, headlined, Why the Supreme Court is Blind to Its Own Corruption, written by a man who probably doesn't believe he has any uh, cases coming up before the court anytime soon. <laughs> that would be Randall D. Eliason. He's a law professor at uh, D.C.'s George Washington University Law School. Uh, the uh, former assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, where he was the chief of the public corruption and government fraud section. And you can and should sign up for his newsletter at sidebarsblog.com. You can also find him on the Twitters at R.D. Elias and Randall. Always great speaking with you, sir. Look Thanks. forward to uh, we'll probably have an opportunity to do so over this summer. I suspect there may be some news we'll, we'll want to uh, check in with you on. Look forward to it. Thank you, sir. Uh, actually, I don't look forward to it. I look forward <laughs> to speaking to Randall, but the the news we may be talking to him about, given everything that's going to be coming down the pike this summer, not sure how much I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that sounds like that's going to be quite quite busy. He made a uh, a, a point there that you know if Congress had the will to uh, make laws here to change to, to hold the Supreme Court accountable, they could do so. Yeah, and uh, to be clear. There's a whole bunch of Democrats who do have the will to do so, but Republicans in Congress have absolutely no interest in doing so as long as it means holding accountable a Republican-appointed justice when there now is a Democrat in the White House. Yeah, because they certainly do not want in any way whatsoever to highlight the corruption of, say, these Republican-appointed justices that might then give the Democrats in the White House an opportunity to appoint another justice. Yeah. It, it, at this point, uh, Clarence Thomas could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and <laughs> he would get to keep his seat at least until there's a Republican in the White House. Yeah. So uh, anyway. They might not still care yeah. about this kind of corruption if there were a Republican in the White House. Got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. There is no paywall there. Thanks to those of you kind enough to support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Maybe I need to have a special button for Harlan Crow to stop by. <laughs> I could really use that money. Uh, bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and Twitters and Mastodons, you'll find me at the Bradblog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com/donate.